Canto 16 of the Purgatory is the 50th canto of the 100 in the Divine Comedy. And so it's appropriate that it asks a central question at this central point. A central question from the human perspective at least, which we'll see coming up about the issue of free will. Because after all, if we don't have some way of participating freely in our journey towards paradise, then the whole of the Divine Comedy and Dante's project would be undermined. But this being Dante, and remembering this old theme from the Inferno that the way up and the way down are deeply intertwined, it's also very striking that this canto is one of the darkest in purgatory, literally the darkest. You remember that Canto 15 had ended with dark, thick smoke that was impenetrable to the eye, had descended around Dante and Virgil. And in fact, the whole of this canto, except for right at the very end, is not just in kind of cloudiness, but is in a darkness so impenetrable that Dante can't even see Virgil, whom he clings to throughout. So this is saying something about how life is purgatorial. It's this mix of insight, possibly completely revolutionary insight, which Dante has hinted at, and in fact is going to hint at again in this canto as a sort of central point in the central part of the Divine Comedy. But Though those insights can come, darkness can come very rapidly and suddenly too. We have profound intuitions and insight, but they struggle to really re fully realign our lives. That sense of trying to orientate ourselves towards our most profound intuitions is the struggle of purgatory and indeed the struggle of our lives. And at this moment in the purgatory, the darkness, it turns out, is the darkness of anger. They're on the third terrace now, and this is where those whose lives have been profoundly but not ruinlessly shaped by anger enter into that anger, quite literally, by entering into the darkness of that state of mind, and blind rage, you might say, uh, in order to understand it in a more detailed and nuanced way. And maybe it's worth saying right at the top that this is not a condemnation of anger you know, per se. Um, the character who will meet on this terrace shows a kind of righteous anger as well. So this is about discerning something more subtle than just purging anger um, completely. It's also striking that whilst Dante himself is completely blinded for most of this canto. He leans on Virgil and asks Virgil, in fact, to guide him. He says that he's never been more terrified than when they were in the inferno. His fright is quite genuine, his disturbance is quite profound, and yet Virgil is able to find a way through. Now the commentators discuss whether Virgil can actually see or whether Virgil has some kind of awareness that enables him to be a guide even through the darkness. Um, 
I wonder whether this is something about the intermediary state of purgatory. It's not just the physical world as we experience it day by day. Um, it has much more of the psychological, spiritual quality, um, which you know we can know, but which is not so directly tangible to us. That aspect of reality is really what shapes purgatory. And maybe it's just that Virgil is not nearly so subject to this blind rage, which Dante, presumably in his life, did know, you know not without cause, when you think about all that he suffered, and the banishment from Florence, and so on. Maybe Virgil um, can see through this darkness, because the darkness is not such an inner state of mind for him, um, so he can help Dante. Um, again, in parenthesis, one of these moot points amongst the commentators, is Virgil on his way to salvation or not? I think this is an indication that he is, again, because he seems to be quite as actively working himself out in purgatory as Dante is, and indeed as the souls that they meet are. They quite quickly hear souls here on this terrace, and what they're doing is singing the Agnus Dei. And Dante says it's really striking because for all the fear that has suddenly um, sprung up around them, um, these souls are singing the Angus Day and they're singing it in a sort of wonderful harmony. But I think you get the sense that it's a slightly automatic, unthinking harmony. It's the kind of unity that comes about from blind habit rather than from real insight. And my sense is that at this stage in the canto anyway, when we first sort of come up against blind rage, it's as if these souls, all they can do um, is almost parrot the Angus Dei. Um, it's not a completely useless activity. Um, Dante the poet does explain to us that it begins to help to loosen the knot of wrath. Um, but in some ways, you know, when you're almost completely held by such an emotion, all you can do is sort of repeat a mantra and hope that it begins to free and untie what so bound you up. Um, so again, I think this is sort of saying, look, church liturgies, the church formularies, the church um, incantations, they're not useless. Um, they kind of help you at a sort of basic level, um, but there's got to be a whole lot more. And that whole lot more is indicated by Dante because um, a voice speaks to him. We don't know who it is at first, but out of the darkness, a voice speaks to him. And um, Dante converses back. Um, it's a, a rather a nice encounter. They wish each other um, very much well. Um, the new soul is amazed at Dante's presence. He senses that he's alive. Um, and Dante respects the soul back, um, but he does so in quite a striking way because he says that he is being taken to God's courts, to heaven, by means unknown by men of our day. And interestingly, he uses the word modern there. Scholars have reckoned it's the first time that the word modern is used in Italian. Um, it doesn't quite mean what mean we mean by modern now, but it did mean 
modern ways of understanding, of grappling with God's truth as opposed to ancient ways. So it represents a kind of transition and Dante is claiming that transitional moment for his own and suggesting his own exceptionalism that what he's doing in the Divine Comedy is completely of the times because it is launching a new way of knowing God's courts, of finding your way to heaven. So this underlines again Dante's sense that the Divine Comedy is not just another rather brilliant illumination of what's always been known by human beings, certainly in Christian times, but is taking that Christian dispensation on and unfolding it more deeply once more. It's quite a claim by Dante, particularly put at this central point in the 50th canto. And indeed, whilst issues aren't resolved about what this new dispensation, this new modern take on Christianity might be, they're not resolved in this canto, we get some pretty strong hints as to what Dante is seeing, what his new intuition and inspiration is, what it actually entails. The soul that speaks now reveals who he is. Um, he's a chap called Marco from Lombardy. Um, not much is actually known about him in uh, history, but um, he asks for Dante's prayers when he um, gets to the places above. Um, interestingly, the implication there is that Marco believes Dante, um, that about what Dante has said about his journey, the novelty of it, um, encouraging us readers to contemplate it that little bit more. Um, there's an interesting aside where Marco says to Dante, you know, we don't mark our time here according to calendars. So there's a sense too of this different quality of time. Um, you know, maybe it is quality intensity of life that counts here more than just marking the passing of the days as calendars do, a more quantitative approach. Um, so that just nudges us again a little bit more to this psycho-spiritual domain of life, um, where clock time um, ceases to have its grip upon our experience and instead a kind of depth or profundity of vision um, is what matters you know, not inappropriate for a canto so shrouded in darkness and then we come to the central question of the canto it's one that had popped up in Dante's mind a couple of cantos back um, do you remember when quite a number of questions were raised that was signalled at the time Virgil and Dante were going to pick up further on. And Marco has already said to Dante that the world is losing its ability to aim well at the goals of life. Um, it's losing sight um, itself. It's become blind too, um, which he would be aware of as he faces his own blindness. Um, and this prompts Dante to ask about the causes of evil on earth. You know, what is so leading human beings astray? And he asks it in a particular way because he says, is it in the stars? Is it the heavens themselves that are causing human beings to fall so short of all that they might be capable of? It's the question of astrology. And do the planets and the stars determine 
our lives or is there something else going on it's a perennial question for human beings I wonder whether it's one that actually returns when people start to sense that something's going very wrong with human life. It returns in our own day, not directly in relation to the stars, but say in relation to our genes or in relation to our parents. Is there something else that we can blame? Something biological now rather than celestial, but that we can blame for what seems to be going wrong, um, almost as if we sense at some level in our soul it's too much to take responsibility for what's going so adrift, what's falling short. Um, so this, for Dante, deepens this question which is hovering around these cantos of civilization, of its collapse, of what it's really relying on. You know, has it lost sight of its true gold, its true silver, and is instead leading, leaning on its crumbling terracotta leg? like we saw in the image of the old man of Crete. And Marco's response is essentially that the celestial powers, the influences which flow all the way through the cosmos and are associated with particular stars, particular constellations, they do indeed have some force upon us. But he says they I think he aligns them more with what you might call instinctual elements in um, our psyches. Um, you know, the, the modern equivalent might be there that we have a kind of reptilian brain um, as well as our rational minds. Um, you know, we do inherit things from the environment around us. We are influenced um, by um, the past, by other dynamics in this fully animated, fully lively universe, you know, why would it be otherwise in a way? But Marco is quite clear that that's only part of who we are and that our will, our capacity to exercise reflection, decision, um, to uh, train our desire to become aligned to other forces as well, is the key part of human life. In a way, that is the reason why we live picking up from the previous Canto's idea that the purpose of human life is indeed to become capable of heavenly life. Um, this is the new economy, if you remember, that we talked about before. It's adding to that, saying if there's no free will, then in fact there's no means of sharing those things which only grow in the sharing. Um, you know, if we don't have that capacity to engage with the less tangible, immaterial, spiritual elements of life um, because we don't have those less tangible, immaterial, spiritual aspects in our own souls of which will is a prime example, then we are indeed condemned just to consume the earth blindly and life has no more purpose than material accumulation, expanse, but also degradation and collapse. So this is really a crucial question. As I say, it's not going to be fully answered here. Um, Marco's statement that, in a way, there are two levels within us, the instinctual, you know, maybe like the side that can be consumed by anger and rage, um, that instinctual side can take over. And then we wonder whether we are completely determined. We do lose touch with our freedom and either blame the stars or blame our genes or blame our parents. You know, that is a true sense of things that people can have at some time. 
but Marco's here in purgatory and a key part of his task is to realise once again that there are other aspects that he can draw on, that he can nurture, he can foster and that's what he tells Dante now. There is hope even in the darkness. Then he tells Dante a little bit more. He tells Dante that this free will is indeed the part of ourselves which is attached to that which is greater than the stars, greater than the created order. Um, it is the divine part within us. Um, so that's another important element of it, um, that you might say we're kind of stretched between the created, the instinctual, the inherited, the influenced, and the divine, the uncreated, uh, the contemplative, um, the infinite. Um, that is why we struggle so much in life. But this is where Dante's reform of Christianity gets hinted at, because Marco describes how, when we're created, we're created as innocent souls. Um, we're like young children that are just delighted in everything and will reach out of wonder, fascination, love, pleasure for all that surround us. And our task in life is to foster and guide and discern and develop that innocent pleasure, joy, desire, love, in order that we can reach from the childish things, if you like, the things immediately around us, um, just the sort of amazement at life, in order to see more and more of the tremendous things that are actually in God's creation. Now this is a rather beautiful image of what it is to be a soul, um, but it's also a profound challenge to, particularly in Western Christianity, the doctrine of so-called original sin, which is that we're not born innocent, that we're born with the flaws of Adam, and that that's why we need this dramatic outside intervention of salvation, of grace that doesn't just perfect nature, as someone like Thomas Aquinas would say. Grace perfecting nature, I think, does actually chime with the notion that we're born these delighting souls that nonetheless need a kind of perfecting, a training. Um, that is um, the sort of minority view in Western Christianity, because the dominant view since Augustine is that we're born with this kind of fatal flaw that needs a fix from the bottom up. Now Dante's challenging that here. He's saying, no, that's not right. What he says does go wrong is that the means by which we might foster and direct our desire to be capable of divine sight, of divine love, that goes wrong. And in particular, in this canto, he blames the shepherds of human souls. And in particular, he blames the church. He says that the church has itself lost sight of what human beings are capable of and it has got so aligned with worldly concerns that as he puts it the sun of divine light has gone out for the church and that means that the whole world starts to lose its way because those who should be as it were remembering for all of humanity that there's more to life than just this world and indeed this world is a pathway to so much more than this world on which this world rests and depends and draws its life. If that is lost sight of, that path, then everyone suffers, everyone goes astray. So this is not just Dante suggesting revisions of Western Christianity, but it is also 
emphasising this other stress which he's had, that um, those who should be looking after the pathway to divine light um, have lost sight of it themselves. Um, they have become too confused by worldly concerns. Now, this might make sense for Dante's time. You know, we're quite used to the idea of the medieval church with its corrupt papacy, its worldly concerns, its involvement in the Italian civil wars. Um, that story is a familiar one to us and so makes sense. Um, no doubt, partly it's become part of our consciousness because it's in Dante. Um, but I think that now there's a different but similar challenge, which is partly why I think Dante's Divine Comedy speaks fresh for our times, because, as I've said before, my sense is that a kind of spiritual materialism now widely infects a lot of um, church institutions, maybe other religious institutions as well. Man cannot live by bread alone, to recall Jesus's phrase. And this is important, not just as a corrective. I think it's important because if Dante's right about the innocence of our soul that delights in all things when it's first born and the need to train it, then we need to reorientate around, in a way our trouble is an excess of love, an excess of desire. And unless a further path is opened up, the path to the divine, um, the spiritual delights, which ultimately the only ones that can satisfy that desire, then we will be left in a world that tries to satisfy it through material ends. And those who think that the gospel is primarily concerned with material well-being will actually be part of the problem because they'll be trying to fix it in a way that parallels the way that the medieval church tried to fix things on this world's terms alone. But this world alone is not enough for us. That is one of the central messages of the Divine Comedy. That's what's brought us this far to Canto 50, a sense of that. Maybe that's why this canto is so wrapped in darkness, because once you lose sight of spiritual things, material things do indeed almost completely dominate your sight. But Marco's rage in life has now also become a kind of righteous anger about what's going wrong in the world, but I guess also in his own soul, so it's serving him well in purgatory. But they've walked on a little further now, around the terrace, um, and Marco says he must stop because he knows that soon another angel will appear and he mustn't be seen by the angel or perhaps we should say that he knows he mustn't yet be confused by the light that the angel would bring. He knows that he needs to be able to discern it some more. But the implication is, for Dante, that he is indeed discerning something more, something profound and radical. And so, at the end of the canto, he and Virgil move out of the darkness expecting to see another angel of light.